Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to the Neil Before Pod interview segment. I'm your host Craig and I recently had the pleasure of chatting to actor, writer and producer Jonas Chernick who recently debuted his new film Ash Grove at Glasgow Film Festival. We discussed creating your own work, portraying relationship breakdowns and extensive time travel research. Sit back, relax and enjoy. I'm delighted to be joined on Neil Before Pod with Jonas Chernick. Hello, how are you doing? I'm great, how are you Craig? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's still light out, which is good. The winter is going away. We're getting into spring, so it's good to see a bit of daylight. Same here in Toronto. It's light here as well and feel spring moving in and kicking winter's butt out the back door. So that's great. Yeah, we're not here to really talk about the weather. So let's talk about you. (laughs) Ah, my favorite subject. Your favorite subject. You should know a few things about it, we would hope. In terms of the world of acting, producing, writing, how did you get into all that? Where did you get your start? I grew up in a, a city called Winnipeg, which is right in the center of Canada. Canada being a very long country with oceans on either side, Winnipeg being literally the geographical center uh, horizontally of the country. And so you're a 24 hour drive on either side from water. It was a remote place. And as a result, that it had a lot of culture. So I grew up in a city where theater, film, music, art was a big part of my life. My mom was a visual artist. My dad was a film buff. So I grew up watching movies and plays. They, they took me to the theater at a young age. And so acting was my thing. I just figured out really quickly that, that that's what I wanted to do. It started off just family dinners and events, sort of grabbing my cousins, aunts and uncles, whoever I could get and writing a play and then getting the family to sit around in the living room after dessert, after pudding, <laughs> just to watch me perform for them. And then eventually my mom said, we need to put this kid in a, a weekend acting workshop or class and started doing that. And then from there, it just spiraled and into university and doing my own theater productions and then eventually into film and television. And then you just juggle the different jobs, the trifecta in a way. Not really, because writing and producing was never something that I wanted to do. I, I, I just wanted to act and I was happy to act in other people's productions. But that I quickly realized that actors spend a lot of time waiting for other people to give them permission to act. You're waiting for your agent to call to get you an audition or a producer to call to offer you a job or a director. And I didn't like the waiting around. I wanted to be proactive. And so in my off time, I would start writing screenplays just to keep me going, keep me busy, keep me active and thinking to myself, maybe one day I'll get one of these scripts made and then I'll have written this great part for myself. And so really, it was a time filler. It was a way to keep me busy between acting gigs. And then the first script that I wrote, luckily found its way into production. And suddenly, this became a viable path for me to write and create great roles for myself. And then producing was the final piece of the puzzle. Because once I've got a script that I've written, spent years writing it, and it's got a great part for me to play, I realized that who's the most motivated person on planet Earth to get this movie made? Well, guess what? It's me. Nobody else is going to work as hard, knock on as many doors, face so much rejection (laughs) to get a thing done, uh, get the film made than me. And so that led me into figuring out how to produce. So just creating your own opportunities, really. I'm just going to find my own work by making my own work. That's an approach. Yeah, that was it. That's 100% what it was all about. Cool. Looking back on your IMDb 
page, I found some interesting tidbits in there. You've obviously done a lot of roles and kind of schlocky shows that I used to watch when I had nothing better to do. Mutant X is on your IMDb list. What was it like working on that show? It's a show I haven't revisited in many years. And I imagine if I did, I would probably think, why did I ever watch this? But it kind of filled a hole at the time. Oh, totally. And it had its own niche audience popular with sci-fi junkies and nerds like myself and i'm assuming like you based on what you're telling me about watching mutant (laughs) x it was in the early years when i had moved from winnipeg to toronto toronto being the film and tv hub of canada and started just auditioning for everything i could go out for and doing a lot of these guest stars on television shows on episodic series that one was particularly fun because my character was a mutant who shot fire out of his hands and so the opening sequence of that episode is me just shooting fire at stuff and it was a really exciting pyrotechnics thing it was the first time i had been on a set where i got to see stuff blow up because of me pointing my hands over at something <laughs> and then seeing it burst into flames i mean Come on. Does it get any better than that? I don't think so. Yeah, so that'd be your first experience working with proper special effects and things as part of your character. Yeah, I can't remember if that was exactly the one, but it was around that period that you're looking at on my IMDb page where there's a lot of guest stars on sci-fi stuff that was shooting in Toronto. And so it was around that time that I got to be a part of all that for, for the first time. Sounds cool. Maybe it's a show I'll go back to one day and try and see if I can remember why I enjoyed it or why I watched it at the time. Good luck. The Blu-rays or the DVDs are available on Amazon. I know because I hunted it down and got my episode. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like a poor man's TV X-Men for when there was no X-Men almost. That's exactly what it was. And they didn't even shy away from that by putting X in the title. So. <laughs> Another one more recently was Dark Matter. It's a favourite of this site. We did an interview with Joe Malozzi way back. Did you work with Joe Malozzi at all? Was he around when you were working on that yeah, show? he was there. Absolutely. That was a really fun one. It was a pivotal episode. I will confess I wasn't a legacy fan. Like I hadn't watched the whole show up until that point, but I, from what I understand, my guest star role was a pivotal episode where some important stuff is revealed about one of the main characters. So it was fun to drop in. That was a really great set because all of those sets, they're all standing sets in a sound studio here in Toronto. So I got to walk through and see all this amazing stuff that they'd built. But yeah, really high quality production. That was a great show. And Malozzi's one of those different hats sort of guys as well. He show runs, produces, writes as well. So I imagine you must have been able to relate to him on a lot of that, just trying to do different jobs. 100%. I remember chatting with him on set. I'm a sponge around those kinds of people. I just want to be around other multi-hyphenates, self-generating creators. So what he did with that show and other stuff is very impressive. Yeah, bears mentioning it's a favorite of the site, and Malozzi's been very good to us as well in terms of retweeting and giving us his time oh, and nice. stuff. So, yeah, great. It's nice to make that link with different people that have met him as well or spoken to him. Yeah, never absolutely. met him, but spoken to him. So, on to James versus his future self, which also debuted at Glasgow Film Festival. We'll talk about your more recent Glasgow Film Festival thing. I'll confess I haven't seen it, although reading the blurb, it sounds like something that'd be right up my street. The future self combating the modern day self i suppose there's a adam project film that just came out on netflix which is a fairly similar premise actually probably with a much higher budget yeah i think our budget wouldn't even cover their catering budget (laughs) yeah i watched the adam project just on the weekend with my kids and uh, it's great but it was a really weird experience watching it because obviously that movie has been in development for a very long time It was a bizarre feeling. It's quite similar. It felt as if a Hollywood studio had bought the rights to remake James versus his future self for a billion dollars. It might have ended up something like The Atom Project. There's so much in it that resonates with my own 
film, not in like a, oh, they stole ideas kind of way, but in a, just an interesting parallel down to like the very specific science that we came up with in James versus his future self for how time travel. We went with the particle accelerator. It's a particle accelerator and it's a wormhole created by a particle accelerator, which when I wrote the film in 2018 hadn't been used yet. And now I've seen it in a couple of things, but James versus his future self was kind of a breakout movie for me. And it was very successful on a lot of levels and opened a lot of doors. And it was nominated for four Canadian Academy Awards, which when we wrote a time travel comedy with a lot of dick jokes in it, we were not <laughs> expecting any Academy to acknowledge it, but we got a best original screenplay nomination here in Canada. And Daniel Stern, who you know from Home Alone and City Slickers, he got nominated for best supporting actor. So it was a big deal. And then it's what brought me to Glasgow because we had our European premiere at Glasgow Film Festival and we had an extraordinary experience. They took such good care of the movie. It's such a brilliant festival. People are amazing. The city is stunning. And we left there two years ago saying, if we ever have the chance to take a movie back to Glasgow, we would absolutely jump at the opportunity. And we did. Oh. And you alluded to it, but it's very clearly a very personal project because you wrote, produced and starred in it. So what was it like seeing that all that come to life, particularly in this kind of sci-fi space as well? Something that's purely speculative and imaginative. And obviously the whole idea of what would you say to your younger self? And then there's the idea of what if your older self hates your younger self or the other way around? <laughs> like I say, I haven't seen it, unfortunately. I would love to see it. It sounds right on my street, but the blurb suggests that it's very much that. What if you don't like who you've become or what you might become, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's really interesting ideas. What was it like seeing all that come to life and get to realize that dream? It was amazing. You've hit on it in its essence. The current version of James, which I play, the younger version of James is appalled by who he's become. And simultaneously, the older version, the more evolved version is so disgusted with his younger self. So that's the conflict of the film. And one of them ends up winning, I guess. That was the fifth film that I wrote, produced, and starred in that has been made in 10 years. And each time it happens, I feel like it's a gift and a miracle. And I'm so grateful that I live in a country that supports what I'm doing and allows me to tell these stories and be in these films. And I just keep pursuing what's interesting to me. So for that movie, which I co-wrote with Jeremy Lalonde, who directed it, who I also co-wrote and who directed Ashgrove. That was our first writing collaboration. We'd worked together many times before, but it was a really exciting project because we were challenging each other as writers in new ways. And so we got to kind of push ourselves in directions that we maybe hadn't gone before. And it was very rewarding. It's amazing to see that movie out in the world. And we sold it to Sky TV. So a lot of people in the UK got to see it on Sky and all around the world, really. It was amazing. And how much time travel research did you do? How much other time travel stories did you look at to try and figure out how the rule set would work? That's always one of those things that whenever you see a time travel story, trying to figure out, okay, what are the rules here? What can they do and what can't they do? And is it Terminator? Is it Back to the Future? Is it whatever? The touchstones, the common touchstones everybody knows. That was the whole impetus for it. I, I wanted to make a time travel film. I'm a huge time travel geek. I'm a big fan of that genre. I'd wanted to do it since I was a kid. I said I want to do a time travel film. And then I saw the movie Primer when it played at Sundance and then it played at TIFF and I saw it at TIFF that year. Can't remember what year it was, but it was a while ago. And I remember walking out of that theater going, well, now I will never try to make a time travel movie because in my <laughs> mind, that was the perfect one. That was the best one. I stand behind that. I think it's the smartest time travel movie ever made. And I thought, I'm done. I won't even try to make a time travel movie now. <laughs> because 
I can't reach anywhere close to the heights that he reached. But over the years after that, I never got rid of the itch, the idea. And I remember the day that I figured out, oh, wait, my time travel story, it's not going to have time machines in it. And it led me down a whole different thought. So you haven't seen James versus his future self, but it's very much about time travel. But there's no DeLorean. There's no pod. It's all very much these characters dealing with the ramifications of it. And so it was kind of a low-fi version of it, but very hard science fiction take on it. And it became about characters. And that was my way in. And I researched crazy. My idea was that the time travel is discovered using the Large Hadron Collider particle accelerator in Switzerland, or that it comes from that science. And so I was researching particle physics and I reached out to a a world leading professor of particle physics here in Toronto at one of the universities. And he was very into meeting with me and we got together and we were talking and I was explaining to him about the Large Hadron Collider and and how I wanted to base my science, my time travel on that. And he pulled out a, a book, a scrapbook that he brought. And he said, oh, you probably need something like this. And he opened his book and I pointed at one of the photos and I said, that photo right there, we were using it in our marketing materials. Look, look. And I showed him the book that we created to try to raise money for the movie. And he laughed and he went, yeah, I built that. <laughs> we were like, what? Yeah. I was the lead of the team that built that part of the large hydro collider. It blew my mind. This guy had built pieces of the largest particle accelerator in human history. And so he was our main time travel consultant and he gave us amazing stuff for the movie. I will definitely try and make a point of seeing it pretty soon. It's just something I'm, sounds like I'm super into already. Yeah. And character-driven sci-fi is something that I really resonate with as well. And when you say you don't have the most money, so therefore you dial into the people involved rather than the surrounding events, which is the hallmark of a lot of great sci-fi. Hide the lack of money with stronger character stuff or stronger ideas, that kind of stuff. So it sounds like it's definitely along those lines. Yeah, absolutely. And you've worked with Jeremy Lalonde a couple of times. You said you worked with him quite a lot over that point, but particularly as a kind of directing writing duo, I'm guessing you find that a natural pairing. The two of you just bouncing off each other, coming up with ideas and making things happen. You obviously trust him as a director to bring your two big features to Glasgow. Yeah, I totally trust him as a director. We met actually because we both had made Canadian sex comedies that were successful. Canada is not known, other than Porky's, which was in the 80s, Canada is not known for cranking out sex comedies. Canadian film is typically like meditative and quiet and morose and sometimes depressing. But we both, in the same year, we each individually made these sex comedies that did very well. And we ended up meeting each other at a film festival in California where his film was playing and my film was playing. And we were introduced to each other as, oh, you guys should meet. You guys are the two Canadian sex guys. And we just hit it off and started chatting and hanging out. And then after that point, we started giving each other our scripts. Hey, man, can you read my script? Give me some notes. Yeah, will you read mine? So we're coaching each other on writing. And then at some point, he gave me one of his scripts to read. And I read it and I saw a part for me in it. And I came back to him and said, this script is great. I have no notes. My only thought is you should make this character five years older. I was like, oh yeah, I see where you're going. Cause then it makes more sense when she has a crush on him. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah. 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 He's like, yeah, great, great note. I'm going to do that. I'm like, great. And then you should cast me. <laughs> no ulterior motive at all there. And it worked. He cast me and we made the film together and we had a great experience working together. And I, I loved the way he directed me. And so from that point, we just said, let's write something together. And that's how we started collaborating as writers. 
Mm, cool. And with Ashgrove, the one that was at Glasgow, you co-wrote that, as you've said. Where did the idea come from, this post-apocalypse where water is literally killing the human race, the whole rationing of how much of it you can drink and the danger it poses? Where did that come from? It's quite a unique idea, as far as I know. A lot of apocalypses are far more overt in terms of this big thing happened and blew up half the world or whatever. But this, it's much more almost sinister. It's this thing that's everywhere that's taking us down. This thing we depend on as well, which is even more insidious. Yeah, we like the paradox of the very thing that we need, all of us, the one thing, well, I guess there's a two or three, but one of the things that we all need to survive, it literally becomes the very thing that is toxic and is killing us. And at first uh, we thought about it, that there was something in the water that was killing us. And then ultimately we landed on, and it's not so evident in the movie, but the idea is that it's actually not the water. The water stays the same. It's our bodies. And it's something about the way that our body chemistry has turned water against us so that it becomes toxic. It's obviously this metaphor for love, the thing that we crave, that we need, that we're hot, thirsty for, that we yearn for. We do all kinds of things to get it. Very often is the thing that kind of pollutes us from the inside. And that's the metaphor at play. And at first, this was really just an idea of let's tell a story about a, a marriage, investigate scenes from a marriage, basically. And, and that was my pitch to Jeremy, who thought, oh, that's fun. That sounds great, but it sounds a bit boring. Let's make sure that the stakes are the end of the world. So outside the room that we're going to tell the story in or the house, let's find a way to make the world ending. This was months before COVID was even a word that we knew. And we came up with this idea of a, a crisis, a health crisis that involved the way that we consume water and what water does to us. Oh, was it filmed during COVID? That kind of accounts for the almost single location, small number of actors. That was all the plan to begin with before COVID was a thing. We came up with this idea in September of 2019. Amanda was immediately attached as actor and co-writer. We started developing the story and raising the money. And when I went out to investors in the fall of 2019, the idea was, one location, basically six actors, tiny crew, and we can really do this thing for very little money and make it look great. And the investors were all on board. Yep, great idea. That's it. We're in. And then COVID hit and we kind of said, well, we don't have to change anything. As soon as restrictions lift enough for us to get back to get a camera and got a bunch of people together, we'll proceed. And we proceeded exactly as we had planned it. Nothing changed other than we had a COVID health compliance officer as part of our 12-person crew who tested us every day and made sure we were safe. Other than that, we would have done the movie the exact same way. So it was kind of a happy accident in a way that you were already doing a smaller production on a single location almost. I think so, yeah. How did you find the adjustments that came with COVID? I've spoken to a lot of actors in particular who discuss the changes and it's things like the social aspect almost goes away or to an extent goes away because you have to be masked and then offset as soon as you're done with your scenes and there's no dining in the same way or whatever. It's all the keeping apart and all that stuff. So do you find that that had a massive impact on the way that the film came together or anything you've worked on came together during that period? It's just a bummer because when you're shooting a movie, a big part of the fun is socializing and connecting with people and the community feeling of it. In our case, we were in such a remote location and there were so few of us that we structured it as a bubble. So everybody got tested before they went out there. And then we all just stayed in our bubble. We went between our one location, which was that beautiful farmhouse and property, which was a kilometer away from this hotel that was empty, where one whole floor was ours. 
And we would just go from there to there to there to there and go back and forth. So we felt pretty safe and it didn't change too much, but hanging around in masks is not fun. It would have been nice to be able to go and have a pint after a hard day. And so that part sucked. But the upshot is this, we shot it in September of 2020. So we had all been in our homes since March of 2020. And this was the first time that any of us had been in any kind of group environment or community. And so it actually felt like a huge relief and release to be able to be around people all day. And even though you had to eat your lunch six feet away on the chair and on the lawn, there wasn't any hugging or high-fiving, but for us, it was like, wow, we get a few weeks to actually be with other people. And so the restrictions in some ways was just the price you had to pay to actually get out of your house. It was amazing. It was the first time we'd been away from our homes. Yeah. Small price to pay, so to speak. I think so, yeah. One of the things I find really interesting in the film is, as you mentioned, the breakdown in the relationship, the end of this marriage, the issues that crop up. And I like the connection between the end of the world and the breakdown of a relationship, which on an emotional level can feel like the end of the world. It kind of ties the external and internal states. I thought it was a really good idea. Was that definitely the forefront of everything you were doing, making the film? Oh yeah, absolutely. It was always like a microcosmic investigation of, of a relationship while this catastrophe is happening outside the door. And then also looking at, I mean, for us, it was really important that our couple be intrinsically connected to that global crisis in some way, that it wasn't just happening to them, but that they were a part of it. And that led us to this hook that as they try to save their marriage, they realize that their ability to kind of get through this weekend will literally determine the fate of the world. And that sounds mysterious the way I put it. And I think people are like, well, how does that work? (laughs) <laughs> in a way that feels grounded and real. And so that for us was really the most exciting part of that. the story is tying the micro and the macro and sort of the, the meta stuff, bringing it all together in a satisfying narrative. And a lot of your work that you write seems to be based on the breakdown of relationships or strife within relationships. Is that something that you really like to explore through different angles? Because it seems to come up a lot, even the versus his future self thing. That's a a relationship breaking down with yourself, I suppose. The difficulty to love yourself almost, or at least I imagine so. But the general, this relationship is in strife or that's breaking down. So is, is it something that you seek to explore in different ways? Not consciously. I think now that I've made Ashcroft my seventh film as a writer actor, and it's starting to feel like uh, those things are emerging in a way that it's interesting for me to look at. So when you bring that up, I think in some way, all films are about relationship breakdowns. Most films, even if it's man versus himself, and it's just James Franco trying to saw his way out of a crevice or whatever, it's still about relationships. And so I think Probably what's become most prevalent for me in all my writing is I like the idea of of introducing us to a flawed character at the beginning of a story who's making bad choices or made a (laughs) bad choice, and then seeing them find or seek redemption in some way, whether it's with themselves or with the people that they love. Those are the stories that I find most interesting. And then I find that I keep kind of writing those stories. So it's really about how far can I go with a character before I hit the unlikable turning point where there's no coming back from it? Sometimes I think maybe I push it a little too far, and but I find that a fun kind of dangerous dance as a writer and an actor. I don't want to play characters that are just lovable from the moment you meet them. I want to play complicated characters where you have to find yourself questioning what they're doing. And, and I find that more interesting psychologically and emotionally, and also a lot of humor to be found there. And I like to do funny, funny stuff. 
when it comes to co-writing, how do you do that? Do you all get in the same room or do you sit on like a Zoom call like we're doing now for listeners who can't see us? Do you do that or is it a combination thereof or do you pick different parts of the script to play with and then send it back to each other, that kind of stuff? Or is it a combination of those kind of things? So I'm always interested in how these things come together, especially when you have two or three writers on something and there's so many different voices and points of view contributing and then it has to all come together somehow. Yeah, Ashgrove was different than the others. I'd say the other ones, it was very much about my co-writer and I spend hours upon hours in the same room, just brainstorming and throwing ideas at the wall and trying to find the spine of the story and break the story, as they say in TV, figure out what that story is. That's a collaborative process that doesn't involve any pen to paper. It's just a lot of like, what about this? And what about that? And oh, I like that. And who do you like this? And then once we get it to a point where we feel like, okay, that's the story, then usually one person will write it and then flip it to the other person and you go back and forth like that, talking about it between each pass. That's how I've typically co-written. Ashgrove was very different because we decided early on, Jeremy and I, that we wanted to bring Amanda into the fold and write a film in a different kind of way than we've done before, where we would collaborate on characters and build characters and backstories and histories collectively, and then let the story kind of emerge from there. So this movie, Ashgrove, really started with us figuring out the premise and then building characters one-on-one with Jeremy. I built my character, Amanda built her character, and then we'd all get together and we'd build the marriage. And what is that backstory? What does that relationship look like? And we had pages upon pages of stuff that never made it into the movie. We knew exactly how these two had met and what they liked to do together and how they would fight and how they would have sex and their relationships with the families. We knew all this backstory. And then we were able to build a story from that. And the other actors did that with their characters as well. They built their characters with Jeremy and I, mostly with Jeremy, because there was some stuff that I wasn't at liberty to know. There was a lot of secrets being kept between the actors purposefully to keep some intrigue alive as we were developing and shooting, which was very different. How did you and the lead Amanda get that rapport for the relationship that essentially carries the film. I imagine there was a lot of corresponding during lockdown and stuff before you started shooting. So how did you form that? Was it different to if you were able to sort of rehearse in the same room and do readings and all that kind of stuff? I imagine it would have been very different, but how much did it change the process of building that relationship? Again, I think nothing changed. If that was the way that we conceived of how we would develop the film months before COVID was a thing. We would have done it in the same room as opposed to on Zoom. We just did a lot of Zoom calls and it involved a lot of personal stuff. So Amanda and I both dug pretty deep and brought a lot of our own experience to it, informing the character's conflict from our own past relationships or our current relationships and our own perspectives on parenting and fidelity. All of this stuff we brought to the table and dumped it in and then kind of figured out which of it was relevant to the characters or not. And I think that's the same thing we would have done. That was at the core of the idea and the process from the very beginning. That did not change. Just a new skill doing it more at a distance than you would normally. Absolutely. And you also got to work with Sean Doyle, who is fast becoming a bit of sci-fi royalty in a lot of ways because he's been in The Expanse and now Star Trek. So that must have been great bouncing off him. He seems like a bit of a powerhouse as a performer when he's in the room. I just get that impression. You are not wrong about that. I met Sean almost 20 years ago when I was cast in my first regular role in a Canadian series. He was the lead of that series. And we did one season together and we became friends. And he was an amazing influence and mentor for me. And I remember just asking him a ton of questions about the business and about acting and 
and we stayed in touch ever since then. And, and it's nice to know that he's being recognized that way internationally because in Canada, he's like a superstar. He's won all the awards in Canada and he's done everything. He's done comedy and drama and theater and TV and film. And he's just a big energy and a lovely human being who's also really interested in the creative process. So he got really interested in getting involved with us because we had invited him to create his own character. As I said, we did this a little outside the box. He loved that opportunity and to be able to be in the moment and bring some of himself to it and and explore with us. And so he was really down to play. He'd never done anything like that before. And he was really, really into it. And he was great at it. He was very good in the film. Anything I've seen him in, he's been really good. So Ashgrove did really well at Glasgow. You said that it did really well with audiences and you had a great time at the festivals. Is it your second time in Glasgow entirely? Yeah. Just with the two films? Absolutely, yeah. Well, a welcome from the Scottish end. Then. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't get the chance to attend the festival, but it's great to hear that you had a great time with it and it did really well at the festival with all its screenings and things like that. And it's always good when things get rave reviews. Uh, that helps. Yeah, I always say that reviews are meaningless and they're silly, unless they're really good, And in which case they're totally right. We didn't know how this film would be received. When we made James versus his future self, it's a comedy. It's a sci-fi time travel comedy. It's very entertaining. We made it with an eye for, we're making this for an audience to enjoy. With Ashgrove, we came at it from a slightly different angle. We weren't sure. And we gave ourselves permission to take risks and try new things and tell a more a little bit more of a complicated, difficult story and, and really focus on performance and genuine emotion and and we didn't know how it would play. So getting to watch it in front of a live audience for the first time in Glasgow, because it was the first time we got to put it in front of people and watch a room of people watch it, it was amazing. And people were enthralled. How many people stick around for the Q&A afterwards is always a good indicator of like how invested they were. And we had the whole cinema, the whole sold out theater stay for the Q&A, nice. which was incredible. And then stick around afterwards to ask us questions and talk to us. And so that was lovely. And the press was really lovely and the critics were great. And so it was an all around amazing experience from beginning to end. Yeah. And I suppose with comedies as well, at a festival, a comedy can almost be a bit of a relief, a bit of a palate cleanser, because there is a lot of emotionally intense films at film festivals. Yeah. And obviously this is one of them. So I imagine the <laughs> It'd be a different vibe with the last one because it is that comedy. It is the, we get a bit of a respite. We get to just have a laugh now yeah. <laughs> instead of being yeah. driven to feel these intense emotions for the third time today or whatever it is. So yeah, it's, it's good that the energy carried through and, and people appreciated it. And I watched it just on my couch, on my TV through a screener link. Yeah. And I imagine it wasn't quite the same experience. I would love to see it on a big screen, obviously. I'd love to see any film on a big screen because... It's the better way to experience it. As good as my TV is, it's not a cinema screen. We all miss that, I think. All of us cinephiles and movie lovers, that communal experience of experiencing that thing together and laughing at the same times or gasping at the same time, that's at the heart of what cinema is always meant to be. And so as much as I've become very convenient to watch movies at home the last couple of years, I miss it. And so being at the festival was great. I went to a bunch of movies and saw some great stuff in cinema with other people. Oh, that's great. As long as the audience is cordial and not checking <laughs> their phones or whatever, yeah, <laughs> all those people, exactly. you don't want them. So what's next for you in terms of writing and acting and producing? What have you got coming up that you can talk about? If you can't talk about it, then don't, but anything you can. I've got a bunch of films coming up that I acted in that we shot in the last year. There was a lot of production in, in Toronto. So I've got a movie 
that I'm in that's out right now in the US. I'm, I'm not sure what the plans are for the UK. It's called The Last Mark. And it stars Sean Doyle oh, nice. and myself in a supporting role. And, and we went and shot it right after Ashgrove, which was fun. And I've got a, a comedy that I wrote and I star in it called The End of Sex, which we shot in January, that it will be coming out this year. It stars me and an actress named Emily Hampshire, who was well known for being a regular on the show Shit's Creek, which was a very popular show North America. And then I'm going into production on something else in a couple of months, actually the summer, uh, another film that I wrote and produced and star in called The Time We Met, which is sort of a romantic psychological drama, kind of sexy drama about an affair that we're going to be filming this summer. So lots going on. Lots coming up. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Keep the work coming, keep busy and Thanks. make up for lost time after the almost two years of That's... limbo or a year, I suppose, for the yeah. film industry. It wasn't quite the two years off, but... Almost a year, I would say. Yeah, that's the hope. Keep it going. Keep it alive. So last question, lighthearted one to finish off with. You were pre-warned about this before we started recording, but <laughs> hopefully you've got an answer. If you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? My instinct was at first is flying because I used to have dreams that I was flying. It was really cool. And when I was a teenager, I wanted to have x-ray vision because I wanted to be able to look at the girls, which I realize is not cool now. But it was a different time, right? It was the 80s. <laughs> Anyone growing up has that <laughs> fantasy right. in some way, don't they? <laughs> Dirty boys, I guess. <laughs> but now I would say it's probably mind control, like the Jedi mind trick, because it just feels like save a lot of time and energy of having to deal with obstacles when you can just wave your hand and suggest <laughs> what you want. <laughs> feels like you could pretty much get anything without hurting anybody, yeah. hopefully. I mean, I'd have to be ethical about it, but... Yeah, I'm going to go with mind control. Well, you'd hope you'd be ethical. Maybe the power would go to your head. Yeah, well, we'll see. You're right. It would. It definitely would. <laughs> That's those things always Especially go. when you want a bigger budget for a film. It's like, no, yeah, $10 million. Right. Give me that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. That was a good answer. Thanks, Craig. Glad you didn't go with flight. That's the very common one. Yeah. Everyone picks that. Boring. Well, not everyone. Lots of people do. Thanks very much for giving me your time. No one cares about scheduling conflicts, but we had some scheduling conflicts, but we got here oh, in the yeah. end and it's been excellent talking to you. I really enjoyed chatting to you about your career and the experience of making Ashgrove. And I watched it last week and I really enjoyed it. So I'm really glad that it's doing well and I hope it continues to do well and gets wider release and all that stuff. I really hope Thanks, Craig. that and everything else you do goes really well. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you and I really appreciate it and keep doing what you're doing. It's lovely to hear you talking to artists and creators and it's good for the work and it's good for the business. So thank you. You're welcome. And thank you very much for your time. That was my chat with Jonas Chernick. We wish him all the best with his future projects. If you enjoyed what you heard here, then you can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please do leave us a rating and a comment. If you want to discuss this interview or anything else, you can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter under New Before Blog or leave a comment on newbeforeblog.co.uk. As always, we hope you'll join us next time on Neil Before Pod.